morning. Uh, my name's Ian, in case we haven't met. And um, we are doing, actually today we're concluding our, our series that we're, we've been doing called Jesus is Greater. And we've been going through the whole Bible, uh, the Old Testament primarily, although looking at it from the New Testament perspective as well. And we've been looking at all of these um, precursors or, or shadows that point to Christ and how Jesus is the better version of that thing, right? So really, you could say that we've been showing you uh, the advertisement of Jesus and how he is the, the product that fulfills that advertisement. And so today we're concluding that with the person of John the Baptist, which um, I don't know if you're familiar with, uh, with John the Baptist and the story of him, but you know he is uh, the forerunner of Christ. He was the one that would go before him and uh, pave the way and uh, prepare the hearts of people to, to uh, accept Christ as the Messiah. And uh, so he was kind of the quintessential advertisement of Christ. So uh, we're going to look at him today, and it is my hope today in the brief moments that we have together, and I even wrote it down to make sure that I, that I see it here. Uh, it is my hope that we will uh, see that the only proper response to the person of Jesus is to reflect him accurately, to pursue him authentically, and to trust him absolutely. So uh, that's what I hope that we see today as we look at the person of Jesus and um, as advertised by John the Baptist. So um, who is John the Baptist? A lot of people uh, refer to him as the last Old Testament prophet, which is a little weird because he's actually in the New Testament, right? But he, he, like, he checks all the boxes um, of the Old Testament prophet type. So um, he's the last of that series of Old Testament prophets. And uh, we first get a glimpse of his ministry actually from the, the uh, book of Malachi, which was the last Old Testament prophet, written down in the word anyway. So like if you look at um, a pew Bible, if you don't have a Bible with you, feel free to take one of these pew Bibles. Um, page 803 is where you would find uh, the, the book of Malachi, chapter 4 and verse 5. And... Um, I'm going to read that for us here, and then we'll take a little bit of a look at how John the Baptist fulfills this. So um, Malachi is preaching to the nation of Israel that had been disobedient from God. They'd been disciplined by God, and, and they're looking forward to uh, being restored. And, you know, back to the, the glory days of when, you know, King David was reigning and Solomon and all that. Uh, but at, at this point, they were, you know, they were dispersed from the land. They were um, just crushed, basically, as people under God's discipline. So God is promising them um, that it won't always be that way. So in verse 5, he says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So he's telling them, you know, I'm going to send you Elijah. Now, the nation of Israel, they would know who Elijah is. You know, he was one of their folk heroes. It would be like us, you know, talking about, you know, Superman or Spider-Man or whatever, except with a Christian focus, you know. And, and so, you know, they're like, oh, wow, Elijah. Yeah, he's the one that did all those really awesome things. He's the one that you know, um, had that miracle at Mount Carmel where he, he prayed and, you know, and, and God just consumed the, the wood on the altar with fire, even though it had been doused with water. And he's the one that, you know, outraced the chariots. He, you know, they, they knew all the stories of Elijah. 
Um, and, uh, and so when God says, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet, and he's going to turn the hearts of the people back to God, right? Then, uh, and that's, that's a pretty big deal. And so they would be excited about that. But it took 400 years for that to happen. Uh, the, the book of Malachi is about 400 years prior to uh, John the Baptist. 400 years is a lot of time, right? I mean, just this last week, we celebrated our country's 200 and... How many years old is America? Uh, I'm sorry? 243. 43, 243, thank you. I'm really bad at mathing. So, 243, okay. So, that's not even close to 400, right? So, 400 years ago, that's when Galileo proved that the earth revolves around the sun, like, that was a long time ago, right? Like, 400 years ago, that was when, um, I, I think it was the Dutch, bought Manhattan um, for $24. <laughs> they got a good deal, right? <laughs> the Native Americans didn't, but the Dutch did. So, uh, you know, 24 years ago, that was when the Taj Mahal was built, right? So, uh, 400 years ago. It's a long time. So, they went 400 years without hearing from God. Now, that doesn't mean that God was not active. It doesn't mean that, that God wasn't moving among the people, but there was no official prophet of God. There was no official mouthpiece, you know, thus saith the Lord, like they had had with all of the Old Testament prophets. And, and in the book of Amos, God says, if you keep disobeying me, I'm just going to quit talking to you. And they kept disobeying, and he quit talking. For 400 years, they had silence from God in that way. And I don't know what that was like. You know, I, I know that there have been periods of my life when I felt like God was silent. There have been periods of my life when I wondered if I was really hearing him. Why, why couldn't I feel him leading me in a certain direction? Or why didn't he seem to show up like we were just singing about in that song? You know, when all of this hard stuff is happening... You know, I'm still going to trust you, Lord, but it sure would be awesome if I could actually hear you. So for generations, that was the, the spiritual condition in the nation of Israel. For 400 years, they didn't hear from God. But they were looking forward to that promise, right? In Malachi, he says, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet. So they, they looked forward to that. And then they died, and then their kids looked forward to that, and then they died, and their kids looked, and so on and so on, Right? And so eventually, we get to uh, the New Testament, and we see in the Gospel of Luke, there's this story of this couple, and I'm just going to read you this part, and then, and then we'll unpack the story a bit. So in verse uh, 16 and 17 of Luke chapter 1, yeah, Luke chapter 1, this is the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and again, if you're in your pew Bible, you can find that on page 855. But Luke chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, um, God is speaking to Zechariah. Now, Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, uh, they, were, they were old. They were, uh, you know, she was beyond childbearing years, you know, so menopause, all that stuff. And, uh, and you know, they are, uh, Zechariah is uh, ministering in the temple. And an, an angel appears to him and says, hey, heard your prayers, going to have a kid. And he's like, Huh? Uh, yeah, not sure about that. What? And then, and then the angel goes on and tells him about what his kid will be and do. And, uh, and then uh, he gets to this part in verse 16. 
He says that he, John the Baptist, will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him, him being God, right? So John the Baptist will go before God uh, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So here's this old guy, this old priest with a wife that's up there in years, and the angel comes and says, hey, heard your prayers, you're going to have a kid, and never let him, you know, like never cut his hair, never let him uh, touch anything dead or drink any alcohol. He was supposed to be a Nazarite. You know, there was a Nazaritic vow that it, they would take there. And he, and he gives him all these instructions, and, and of course, Zechariah didn't quite buy it, so the angel says, well, okay, tell you what then, um, just to prove it to you, you're not going to be able to talk until the kid's born. And so he had nine months to think about what he did, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and the kid is born, and, and so they're all, you know, somebody writes down, like, what do you want to name him? You know, because they would name them after their parents, parents, and, you know, family names would be handed down. And he crosses out all those names. He says, no, name him John. And they're like, what? Why John? But the angel had told him, you know, name him John. So he obviously was ready to obey and believe now, because, you know, here's this little baby, and they named him John. And, uh, and so John the Baptist was that fulfillment of 400 years of expectation that God would again open his, his mouth and speak to his people. And you would think that that would be exciting and that the people would welcome him. And some did, you know. Um, he, he grew up, you know, in the desert and he was, you know, uh, he, he wore camel's hair for clothing and he ate locusts and honey and, you know, um, he was a kind of a, like a deserty wild man kind of guy, right? Like think Duck Dynasty except poor hygiene probably, and, you know, there he is. And, uh, and so he's out, he's like the, the crazy preacher that's screaming at people probably, you know? And, um, you know, it, uh, he's saying prepare to, re- to, to receive Christ, you know, prepare for, for God showing up. And, you know, his, his message was, you know, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, which is the same message that Jesus preaches. If you read in Matthew chapter 3, there's this huge description of John the Baptist, you know, his physical appearance, his ministry, his, his message. And it says, and he was preaching, you know, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then you turn the page to Matthew chapter 4, um, and, uh, and Jesus, or actually it's later on in chapter 3, Jesus is preaching, and he says the same thing. You know, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So they went from 400 years of silence from God to the kingdom of heaven being at hand. Now, at hand is just a fancy way of saying it's right there, right? Like you could reach out and touch it. You know, like this cross is at hand, you know? And, and so Jesus was proclaiming that message. John the Baptist was proclaiming that message before him because John the Baptist was the forerunner of Christ. He was preparing the way. Think of, you know, like uh, in the olden days when, when a dignitary or a king or somebody fancy would, you know, be going through town and they would have the herald in the front, you know, and, or like show up at a fancy ball and there's the guy in the tuxedo and he says, Mr. and Mrs. McIntosh, you know, and then everyone's got their little martini glasses and they turn and they look and then they go back to their conversations, you know. So John the Baptist is the one saying, Jesus the Messiah, Right, and he, he's proclaiming, he's, he's announcing the arrival of, he's going before Jesus and preparing the hearts for them. Now, he's the advertisement, right? He's, he's the video of the mansion. Jesus is the mansion. Jesus is that which John the Baptist is pointing to. And it would be silly of, of us to 
be so fixated on John the Baptist that we lose sight of Jesus, right? And, and the cool thing about John the Baptist is he didn't want that either. He didn't want people looking at himself. Let's take a look at another verse in the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 11 and 12. This is John the Baptist. He's, he's preaching and, you know, people are coming to him and asking him questions. And, um, and, uh, and then he, he's speaking of Jesus. And he says, you know, I, I'm baptizing you with water for repentance. Because people, that's why, by the way, the reason he's called John the Baptist, it's not because he went to a Baptist church, you know. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, uh, I, I asked uh, Alexa this morning, uh, who is John the Baptist? And she went on, probably reading from Wikipedia, and, uh, and, and she, she said that some people call him uh, John the Baptizer just to make sure that we don't confuse him with being Baptist. So I thought that was interesting. So, um, so anyway, John the Baptist, he says, you know, I'm baptizing you with water for repentance because people were hearing his message and they were feeling convicted so they would come and they would, they would say, well, okay, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I want to get ready. I want to get rid of the junk in my life and be ready for the Messiah because I get it. You're that guy that... 400 years ago, they said, would be doing this, and here you are, so I'm, I want to get ready. And he'd say, okay, well, be baptized, you know, turn away from your wicked ways. And, you know, baptism is an external expression of an internal reality, right? It's an opportunity to, uh, to physically demonstrate the symbol of, uh, well, for us as believers, I don't think John the Baptist knew this to this extent, but for us as believers, it represents being laid down in the grave with Christ and then being raised back up to new life in Christ, and the old man is dead, and the new, the new one is here, and the water, of course, representing the, the cleansing, you know, like bathing, and representing the, the, the Holy Spirit washing over me. So, by the way, if you haven't been baptized physically, then, uh, and, and you have placed your faith in Christ, then we would encourage you to be baptized. So you can write that on your connection card, like, hey, I think maybe I should get baptized, and we'll follow up with you about that. So John the Baptist was, um, was out there, you know, proclaiming to people, repent, be baptized. So he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. I just love the humility this guy has. Like, man, I'm not even worthy to carry his shoes. Like, that's, that's good perspective. He says, uh, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So John the Baptist recognizes he's doing something that's physical, but Jesus would do something that's spiritual, right? That it would be like a, a, an internal thing that Jesus affects for people. And then he goes on and he says, his winning fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the shaft he will burn with unquenchable fire. And uh, he's probably referring to the Pharisees in that little jab, you know, like he's the same one that had the, the he's like, you brood of vipers, who told you to, to be baptized for repent, you know, and because the Pharisees, he calls him a brood of vipers, you know, they came to, to check him out and, and uh, see like, okay, there's this guy out there preaching, you know, we're the, the spiritual police, we got to make sure he's okay. And, uh, and so he kind of lays into them pretty thick. But uh, but that's John the Baptist. He's, he's out there, you know, proclaiming, he's baptizing, he's, uh, he's pointing people to Jesus. 
And um, he, he's the one that, that once said, uh, you know, his disciples, because he had disciples just like Jesus did. They were um, interested in his message. They wanted to learn of God from him. So he had disciples. And they were uh, one time, uh, they, they saw that Jesus was doing ministry and uh, that Jesus was baptizing people, or at least his disciples were. And uh, John the Baptist's disciples come to him and say, hey, um, we're losing a lot of people here. You know, I mean, like we used to have a pretty big following, but I don't know, they're following that guy now. Like, what do we do? And John the Baptist is like, dude, that's awesome. (laughs) See, that's a guy that's not concerned with himself, right? That's a guy that knows his mission is to point people to Jesus. And I love that. Like that heart that says, no, I'm not building my kingdom. I'm building God's kingdom. And, and that's a heart that I see so thoroughly in this church. You know, like, um, I don't know how often you drive by the street here, you know, but it's pretty rare for this parking lot to be empty, you know, all throughout the week. You know, we, we've got such a, a, a diverse litany of events and organizations that use this place. And, uh, and, and as a church, we say, hey, um, if, if you're building God's kingdom, then yeah, come on over, because that's what we're about. You know, we're not about building our kingdom. And I love that. John the Baptist was not about building his ministry. He was about pointing people to Jesus. And so if he was losing people to Jesus, that's a win. Like, how cool is that, you know? And uh, you know, sometimes pastors uh, might feel like, oh, man, you know, there's this big church that just moved in across town, and now everyone's going there. And, uh, uh, uh. and then they, they might start feeling like they're failing or whatever. But, well, are, are, they, are they following Jesus? Is that church leading people to Jesus? Then that's awesome, right? Because it's not about me building my kingdom. It's about me pointing people to Jesus. So when, when his disciples came to him and said, hey, we're losing people. They're following Jesus. What do we do? Um, his, his phrase, his response was, I must decrease and he must increase. As if he, he knew, okay, you know what? Um, Mission accomplished. I'm here to point people to Jesus. They're, they're, they're going to Jesus. That's great. And so um, consider in, in your life, how are you pointing people to Jesus? And, and I'll, I'll unpack that for you here in a little bit. But I just wanted to take a moment uh, before we, we start reflecting on how we should respond to uh, what we see in John the Baptist you know, uh, if, if he's the one that points to Jesus, then maybe we should stop talking about him and talk about Jesus a little bit, right? Because it would be silly to talk about him wanting us to point to Jesus instead. So um, on the back of your, your insert, uh, we have for you, um, really, it's, it's a summary of each of the 12, um, well, yeah, 11, really, um, messages that you've heard preached on this, this series of Jesus is greater. And, um, you know, in, in a little while, uh, those of us that have been preaching these messages over the last year or so are going to stay up here, um, you know, after the service, and we're going to do some Q&A about any of these. And because uh, we're concluding that series today, you know, John the Baptist was the last Old Testament prophet. So, you know, we could continue, um, you know, ad nauseum, as they say, but uh, you know, John the Baptist seems like a fitting conclusion to that because he's the, the New Testament, Old Testament prophet. So uh, just look at this list of, you know, when, so who is Jesus? Who is this guy that John the Baptist is pointing to? Well, we've seen him in 11 distinct ways as we've looked at these people 
in the Old Testament as they point to Christ. So Jesus is the second Adam that brings life, much better than the first Adam that brings death. Remember uh, in Romans 5, it says that through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin. That was, but then Jesus is the second Adam. You know, he's the perfect judge that justifies, much better than the Old Testament judges that failed to completely deliver his people. He's the righteous blood that forgives, much better than the blood of Abel that condemns. He's the ark that saves us from God's wrath, much better than Noah, who only preserved his own family. Um, He's the priest that supersedes the law, much better than the priest that serves the law. He's the kinsman redeemer that restores our identity, much better than Boaz, who only restored Ruth's identity. He's the prophet that is the word, much better than the prophet that simply speaks the word. He's the anointed Messiah that serves his subjects, much better than David, who subjugated his servants. He's the only son of God who lays his life down willingly for all mankind, much better than the only son of Abraham who was willing to lay his life down. He's the grace-filled creator who has compassion on all, much better than the resentment-filled prophet who had compassion on none. And finally, he's the lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world, much better than the forerunner who pointed people to him. So again, that's just a quick little summary of the um, now 11 uh, messages you've heard looking at who Jesus is through the perspective of the people that are pointing to him. So three questions for you as we consider how this relates to our own life. Question number one, am I reflecting him accurately? If I am the advertisement for Christ to the world around me, uh, would I be um, compliant with the truth in advertising you know, guidelines, right? Um, do people see Jesus clearly through me? Do they see his heart? Do they see his compassion? Do they see his love for people? Do they see his righteousness? Are, are, are people attracted to Jesus in me or are they repelled from him because of me? Think of like, uh, like dating um, services, you know, like people go on, you know, uh, what, match.com or what, whatever those things are. I don't want to say Tinder, but, you know, the people go on, on these things and they create a, a dating profile, right? And then, uh, you know, the, the joke is when, when you actually go and see that person in person, it's like, oh, huh, you look a lot different in person than in your profile, you know? So would would people feel that way when they come to Jesus? You know, they, they've seen Jesus in me, and then they come to Jesus, and they're like, whoa, wait a minute. That's, yeah, you didn't tell me that about Jesus. What do you mean that, you know, and whatever, fill in the blank, right? I want to be an accurate representation of Christ to the world around me. And, and that will be, you know, and um, Paul told the Corinthians that, that uh, as we're filled with the Spirit, that we are a fragrance to the world around us. And uh, to some people, we're a fragrance of death if they choose to reject Christ, and to some people, we're a fragrance of life if they choose to accept him. But, but I want to be that, that aroma, that fragrance to the world around me as they're seeing Jesus in me. So anyway, something to ponder. Am I reflecting him accurately? And by the way, that means that I should be reflecting and pointing to him, right? It shouldn't be about me. 
I shouldn't be trying to draw people to me and, and attract people to me for me, 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 me. It should be about him, him, him. And um, if you are uh, sometimes prone or susceptible to putting people up on a pedestal, you know, like, uh, like, like Pastor Scott or, you know, this person or that person or this guy that does this teaching or this musician or, you know, this ministry leader or whatever, um, I encourage you to not do that. Um, if they really love God authentically, then they wouldn't want you to do that. Um, I know I don't want to be put up on a pedestal. Um, I would much rather people have God on the throne of their heart and, and not a person. And so just remember that those who serve the Lord and in leading people are there uh, to point to God. So let God be on the throne, not that person. So anyway, just throwing that out there. All right, number two, am I pursuing him authentically? Right? Again, it would be silly to pursue the advertisement rather than the product that's being advertised. The, um, the Pharisees were not pursuing God authentically. Uh, they, were, um, they were trying to guard their own you know, spiritual domain, and they didn't want to lose any of their own authority. And that's why John the Baptist was going crazy on them, you know, calling them a brood of vipers and whatnot. They weren't really interested in pursuing God. They were interested in protecting their own kingdom. And so, am I pursuing God authentically? Or am I just pursuing the advertisement? You know, um, I want the mansion, not the video. You know, and the, the more I get distracted by the packaging um, and, and not what's in the package, then, then the, more, uh, the more life tends to go sideways. So, you know, pursuing him authentically means being honest with myself about where my heart's at and what's really important to me and asking God to correct any of that that needs to be corrected so that I can pursue him authentically and, and not look for what he's doing for me. You know, like a, a, lot, of, um, a lot of people might be prone to having, um, you know, their, their own little preference of something. You know, like, oh, I, I, I love that style of music or I love, you know, uh, pews instead of chairs or chairs instead of pews or, oh, I, you know, I wish, you know, carpet was this color or whatever, fill in the blank, you know, with your own preferences I don't think that, that those preferences should get in the way of um, an authentic pursuit of God. I need to be willing to set my preferences aside and say, hey, I'm just about Jesus. I just want to experience him more. I just want to you know, be in touch with his heart and who he is. And all that packaging, you know, those external things, um, I can just set that aside. Okay, so uh, number three, am I trusting him absolutely? Am I trusting him absolutely? Um, every one of you right now is, is trusting absolutely uh, the surface that you're sitting on, right? The pew, the chair, the stool, whatever it is. You're absolutely trusting that, right? I mean, unless your quads are totally activated and you're kind of doing like a wall sit, you know? <laughs> but you, you have let your weight down on that surface that you're sitting on. You know, let your weight down on Christ, just trust him absolutely. I don't know if you have ever felt like um, when you hug someone and, and sometimes you can feel kind of just their weight comes down in that hug, you know, and then you, you almost feel like you're holding them up, you know, it's like, ah, and they just kind of, they let their weight down, right? Um, I believe that Jesus wants us to trust him absolutely. He wants us to let our weight down on him. 
And so, uh, you know, that means when life gets messy or difficult. Uh, it means when, uh, like that song that we sang earlier, when, when he doesn't move the mountains that we're wanting him to move, when he doesn't part the waters that we wish he would, you know, when he doesn't answer when we're crying out to him, still trusting him, absolutely. And, and if you're here this morning and you haven't um, trusted in Christ for salvation, then I would encourage you to consider that. Consider letting your weight down in him for all of eternity. That's why Jesus came. He came to pay the price for my sin. He died on the cross for all of our sin so that we could be forgiven of those things and have all of that moved aside so that we can have unfettered access between us and God for all of eternity. And if you haven't trusted him for that, then I would really encourage you to do that. You can talk to, to me or one of the other people here about that. You can indicate something on your question or, you know, on your, uh, on your um, comment card. Um, but really, it's just as simple as saying, Lord, um, I know that I need you uh, to, to save me from myself. So I'm going to trust you to do that. And then, and then let your weight down in him. And that's not just a one-time thing. That's like an all-the-time thing. It starts in that, like for me, it started in 1988 when, when I was 13 years old and someone told me about Jesus and I had never heard of him before. And, uh, and I, I thought that seemed like a good idea, so I did. And, uh, but, you know, every day since then, it's a continual, uh, like, refocusing the mind. You know, Paul says it's dying to yourself and letting Christ live in you so that you can uh, continue to trust him and that, that the gospel should apply to every day, to decisions, uh, to where my heart's pointing, to what I'm letting into my life, to what I'm not letting into my life. The gospel should be that overarching reality, um, not just that one-time thing. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for, um, for who you are. Thank you that you are worth pursuing, that, um, that all of these different ways that we've been uh, seeing you illustrated through people, uh, Lord, that you are the, the ultimate end of everything that, that we hold on to. And so, God, I pray that you would uh, help us to reflect you accurately and to pursue you passionately, and to trust you absolutely. God, we, we need your help to do those things. So uh, please show us uh, those ways that maybe we are not doing that effectively, and allow us to, uh, to trust in you to help make that more of a reality in our hearts. Amen.